Hey, Generation Church, we welcome you and invite you to encounter Jesus with us. We believe that through him, we will encounter love and discover our purpose. So take a seat, lean in, and let this message fortify your faith. I, um, I'm excited about sharing. You know, every Sunday I'm excited about sharing. But this one, I, I, um, this is very dear to my heart today. What I want to share, because I think if many of you could re- rewind the tape and look at your life, even before you came to know Jesus, you probably can remember that God, your Father, was pursuing you long before you even came to know Him. He was watching over you. He was taking care of you. I can remember situations that I was in that I should not be standing here today alive because the gracious hand of the Lord protected me from harm, watched over me. And it, I look at my life and I realize that his, his loving kindness was following me, pursuing me, wanting me hoping that I would come to that point when my eyes would be open to the revelation of Jesus. But in and throughout my lives, the Father's love has been pursuing me. And you know what? It didn't stop after I got saved. Because a Father's love continually wants to reveal His love to our lives because in some ways we don't fully comprehend or even understand what it is to be loved by an unconditional father. We all have been raised by by a father. And some, it might have been very challenging. Some of you might have had a good father. the, The spectrum is pretty wide on all of our experiences of having a father. You know, I... We, we can talk about the Father, and some of you all of a sudden start thinking, oh, no, this is not going to be good. Because it goes through the filter of what you experienced. And then some of you, when I can talk about a Father, all of a sudden, warm feelings, good feelings come up in your heart. But the reality is, is that we've had fathers, and as best we know, they've, they did their best in loving us and caring for us. But God the Father says, you know, you being a parent, being a father, you might know how to give gifts to your children, but I know how to do it better. I know how to to reach the hearts of everyone that I've created with this everlasting love that transforms you on the inside. It does something to you on the inside when you receive a father's love. It really transforms you. It shapes you. It molds you. It begins to stabilize you. So Jesus said this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the father but through me. So what we hear and read just now is a job description 
of our Lord Jesus. And that was, He was to bring us to the Father because He was the way. He is the way, the path, the journey. He is the, the, the entrance into the very embrace of the Father's love. And Jesus, His passion when He came was to reveal His Father. He wanted to magnify and glorify His Father. Everything He did was about His Father. And He was wanting to restore His Father's people back to love and intimacy with Him. God our Father has been seeking us through the person of His Son, Jesus. Jesus was passionate about showing all of us the way. He was passionate about getting us on step and in sync with His Father that we might be embraced by Him. And where we can experience what the Scripture talks about as agape, agape love. Agape is the Greek word for love, and it's the God kind of love. It's the love that is not this earthly realm love. It is a supernatural love. But finding the way to the Father's heart is not something that we can just do on our own. It's not like you just, you know, get on Google Maps and find your way to the Father's love. It is something in which it's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. It is something that is derived by God. That is Ephesians 2.8. And the fact that he had to come to us is proof that we could not come to him. It's just, we are not born innately with the ability to just come to him. But the moment that we are born again, born from above, agape love is deposited deep within your heart. And it gives us the ability to love the way He loves. It gives us the ability to walk in a realm of love that we've never known that is supernatural. And even though it might be in seed form, and at times it might be sporadic, it might be off and on, it is something um, has to be cultivated. You have to abide in it. You have to remain in it. You have to stay in it. You have to trust in it. You have to know that it is there for you. So agape is the Greek word for love. And Jesus has come to show us the way to the Father. So it's, it's a road of love. It's a way, it's a road, but it goes straight forward into the Father's embrace. You know, I so look forward. I long for the day when I get to see my Father. I long for the day when I get to see, to be reunited with my family. I, I long for the day when I get to see my friends. I long for the day, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the angelic host. 
all around me. I'm looking forward to meeting the, the saints, the men and women that have gone before us, getting to meet Moses and David. Can you imagine sitting around a, day, a table and having David tell you the stories of all the greatness of God? I mean, can you imagine sitting around the table with the Apostle Paul and have him just talk to you about the mysteries of God? I mean, I'm like, it is going to be so exciting. And, and, and to know that there really is going to be streets of gold. And I'm going to have a mansion with a trot stream behind it. I know it. I know it. Yeah. But you know what? Many people, including myself, have mistakenly made heaven kind of like as my goal or my object or what I'm focused on. But there is a life right now here on this earth after us being born again where God wants you to know Him and to love Him and experience Him just like you would experience Him in heaven. It's an experiential knowledge. It's a knowing of the Father's love that is resident within you. And God is making this available. 1 Corinthians 8.3 says this, but if anyone loves God, he is known by him. So he longs for us in this present life to really get to know the Father's heart. John 17, 3 says this. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is such an important theme that Jesus mentions God as his father over 173 times in, in the New Testament or in the Gospels. So God wants himself to be experienced in you right now a living reality of the father's love being poured out in your hearts where it transforms you on the inside out there's a settling that takes place inside of you where you can rest in the father's embrace you know the father's got a really big hug and he wraps his arms around you and he holds you. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says this, And I will be as a father to you. This is what God is saying to you. I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. That's an incredible thought. That you were not just born again. You were also a son and a daughter that's now been adopted into the most loving family that is on planet earth. 
And in that, Jesus is wanting to introduce us to this remarkable family. So how do we get to the Father? It's through the Son. And Jesus is the way. So there, agape, there is a, it's a way of knowing. It's a way of knowing that you belong. It's a way of knowing that you have significance and value. It's, it's just, there's an eternal seed that's been planted within your heart. It's kind of got like a little, um, uh, what are those, beaker or, or bean? It's a system that sends out a signal. Huh? Not a pacemaker, no, no. Huh? A beacon, yeah. Oh, my gosh. You're in the wrong field, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh. So when Christ is formed in us through the new birth, there's an ability for us to have intimacy with God, that all things become possible. And then we're introduced by Jesus to say, he says, now that I've introduced you to the Father, now I want you to abide in the Father. I want you to remain in his love. I want you to stay in his love. I want you to cultivate this love. I want you to protect this love until it matures within you. There's a maturing that takes place on the inside of you. And there's fruitfulness. Intimacy is so important to God that he made a promise which, which really reveals his father's heart in Hebrews 8.11. For all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. I mean, we can see his basic intent in this scripture. That from the least to the greatest, all are going to know me as a father. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says this, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. You know, we don't have to wait, you know, to get into glory to experience this intimate relationship with our Father in heaven who loved us so much that he gave up his only begotten son for us. Because see, the, the scripture says that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. What that says is, that before you even knew him, or even liked him, or even wanted him, or wanted to receive him, he was pursuing you. He was going after you. He knew that you were in your helpless in your condition and your state, and he was coming up with a plan to bring you on home and to show you the way. So this, this intimate relationship that we can have with the Lord just isn't something that we get to experience when we go into heaven. He's saying, let it begin now. Why do you have to wait? Start it now. Become a son and a daughter now. 
Open your heart to the reality that his heart just wants to wrap his arms around you and hold you close. You know, for years, my concept of, of the glory of God, the, the power of God, was, was seeing God move in services and, and it would touch people's lives and people would go out in the spirit and there would be incredible you know, encounters with God. But, but I never thought that experiencing the Father heart of God, the glory of God, was really something where He wanted us to experience His character, His very nature. He wanted us to experience His heartbeat. It's not all the signs and wonders, which are wonderful, but God is wanting you to experience himself. He's wanting you to know how he ticks, what he thinks about, how he feels. So when Moses asked God to show him his glory, God said to him that he would proclaim the name of the Lord before him. You can see this in Exodus 33:18. And then God said this in self-revelation of himself. He explains to Moses the content of his glory, which is really his seven attributes. It's, it's where he could, you could hang your hat on who God is. So Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7 says this. And the Lord descended in, in the cloud, and he stood there with him. And as he called upon the name of the Lord, and then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, mercy and truth, who keeps loving kindness faithful for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. God's character or his DNA is the essence of his glory, and it's also in the significance of his name. So the breadth of the meaning of these seven words that God uses to reveal himself is spectacular because it says so much about his heart and who he is. So if God had not revealed himself as he spoke to Moses we would not really know the fullness of what a father's love is all about. But Romans 1.20 says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So the only way that the world around us right now can see God's hidden nature, these attributes of who he actually is, is by means of his son, Jesus. Because Jesus, when, when he was approached by Philip, Philip just said, Jesus, just show us the Father. That's enough. Just show us the Father. And he looked at him. And he said, Philip, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
And the attributes that God just described about himself were the attributes that you saw through Jesus as he ministered to people. Was he compassionate? It says he was moved with compassion and he healed all that were sick. You saw the, the, the attributes of God manifesting through his son, Jesus. And then John 14, 9 says, Jesus said to them, Have I been so long with you, and yet you've not yet come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And then we come to understand, as we are born again, born from above, born anew, Galatians 14, is that Christ then is formed within us. He's inside of us, dwelling inside of us. So what happens is, is that then all of a sudden, if Christ is dwelling within you, now what happened? The very personality, the very attributes of God Almighty are now manifesting through Jesus who lives on the inside of you. So then all of a sudden, the world all around you gets to see the love of the Father emanating, reflecting, flowing through your life. You're now the bodily representation of these attributes and you're, be, you're to be a carrier of Him to a world that needs compassion. Do we not need compassion right now? Come on. To a world that needs to be faithful. We need to see faithfulness in our nation. We need to see truth in our nation. We need to see forgiveness in our nation. So what does Jesus say about his love? He says, love your enemies. Forgive those that mistreat you. You're able to be agents of ones that stand in the gap and say, Lord, I forgive them for they know not what they do. You begin to love your enemies, those that don't speak well of you. You begin to, to replicate, emulate the Father's agape love in the here and now in a lost and dying world all around us. They need to see a great light in you that they might glorify the Father. Scripture says, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the evidence that God is our Father is that His DNA is revealed through you. The DNA of the family of God is manifest in and through your life. So when people see you, when they bump up against you, when you're in your everyday life, the Father is able to shine Himself through you in such a way where they see compassion. They see somebody that is so gracious. Someone that is slow to anger. They're seeing somebody that's merciful. Where it's not deserving, but you're so merciful. 
You're truthful, you're faithful, and you're forgiving. And when people see that, lives are changed. People are changed all around you. This is how a city can be transformed when there's a people that can emulate these attributes. You know, when I really think of, of, of someone that's being very compassionate, you know, I think of Becky downtown at Abba's house. When you have women that have been on crack, they've been on drugs, and they're pregnant, and they have a baby that's just addicted to the drug just as much as the mother is. And she's there compassionately loving those that feel like they're at the bottom of life. And they're able to see compassion. They're able to see forgiveness. They're able to see mercy through somebody that's being willing to lay out their lives and say, here I am. That's love. That's agape love. Loving those that don't feel like that anybody ever wants to love them again. But these attributes are not things that the Father does. It's who He is. It's who He is. He can't be anything other than this. You know, back in 1984, I had an encounter with the Father's love that absolutely transformed my life. I had never experienced the warmth of the Father's love inside my heart ever before. I was born again. I'd been baptized. But I did not know a Father's love. And my heart was longing for a Father's love, and I didn't realize it. And a lot of times I was looking for a Father's love in all the wrong places. And my heart deep inside, there was an ache. And I didn't realize that I really felt like an orphan. I felt like I didn't have a home. And when the Father's love met me and filled my heart and he revealed himself to me, the deposit of that moment of his love into my heart is still experienced today. I still feel I could still run into that love in my heart and be embraced by him when I need a big hug. I can still sense the, the well-being and the peace upon him. You know, when, when if, if, I have, if I mess up, if I do something I shouldn't have done or said something I shouldn't have said, and I beat myself up sometimes, I say, oh, Father, forgive me. You know, I, and I come right back into his arms. But... I stop measuring fatherhood by earthly standards. Because when I was young, I experienced a lot of rejection and confusion from my father. And my father did the best he could. But in that, my father would consistently um, tear me down when I was a little boy. And he would say things about me that just, it, it just so broke my heart. And I was like, I was so confused why I was being treated this way. And I never understood 
why he did this all these years. And after I came to know the Lord, um, and and I, you know, was walking with him for many years, and then we came up here and started the church plant. I'll never forget the day I met my dad. They used to live at Lake Lure, and um, and my dad. I said, uh, Dad, I I need to have a talk with you. And I said, Dad, I don't understand why all these years you did not speak well of me and why you put me down. I said, Dad, why did you do that? And he looked at me and he said, you know, I just didn't want you to get the big head. And I went, you're kidding me. You wanted to tear me down because you did not want me to get the big head? I'm like, thanks a lot, Dad. But I said, Dad, I forgive you. I said, I forgive you, and I love you. And, and I'm choosing to open my heart to you. And, and I'll never forget, I asked him, I said, you know, Dad, I really want to have a father's blessing. I need to know that you, you love me. And I want you to bless me. He said, well, I don't know how to do that. I said, well, just think of all the good things that you want me to have in life. Just think of all the things that you want for me and Eliza and for the children and for my future. Just bless me with the good things that you want to have for me. So he said, okay, I'll do that. So we get out, uh, get out on his deck, and it's like 6 a.m. in the morning. I remember the sun was just coming up. And I'll never forget, my dad laid his hand on my shoulder and he gave me a father's blessing. And he spoke over my life. And it was so tender and so sweet. And I'll never forget that because, you know, my dad was like, son, I don't know what I'm doing. I said, it's okay, dad. Just speak your heart over me. And so he did it. And I, I was just so grateful to my dad for doing that. And it just, so the Lord restored my heart with my father. But the beautiful thing about it is that I began to experience a true father's love before I even got my father's blessing. I, I came to understand the father's heart for me, which gave me unlimited access into his embrace. And I could be loved by a father that was always there for me. You know, one of the most beautiful things to understand in our Christian faith is to realize that Jesus came as agape incarnate. He's agape incarnate for the express purpose of introducing us to the Father. That's what he came for. Introduce us to the Father. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So because of, of the incarnation, the sole purpose for Jesus was to lead us unto Him. That we might be found in Him and know Him. And then Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we're realizing that there's such a beautiful tapestry between the Son and the Father that's to be a part of our lives. 
and the radiance of His glory. The radiance of the glory of Christ was the exact representation of the Father, as it says in Hebrews 1.3. So God as a Father is an important concept in Scripture. He was a Father before He was a Creator, before He was a Redeemer. He was a Father to the Lord Jesus Christ, and in eternity, forever and ever, He gets to be our Father. Because we've been welcomed in to his glorious family. And I love what, what, what you said today. Is you said, I'm no longer an orphan. And I'm, I'm so grateful that revelation came to you, came to me. And my hope is that it comes to all of you. Because you can be born again, blood bought. And not understand the revelation of the Father's love and you're still walking around as an orphan. Because you don't feel like you have a home. You don't feel like you've got a place where somebody really knows you and believes in you and sees you. It is time to welcome the Father's love, agape love, into your heart. And allow it to displace an orphan Heart. You cannot cast out an orphan heart. The only way an orphan heart is removed from your heart is that it's displaced. It's displaced by the Father's love and His embrace. But you know, there are many things that are going on that are misrepresenting the Father's love. And I really believe that there needs to be a, shi a, a, a paradigm shift, uh, which is really a complete change or a reversal in the way it, that something is perceived. A paradigm is a total shift. And, and that is, I believe that there needs to be a paradigm shift needed in the definition of the word love. I mean, the Greek language from which the English New Testament was translated, um, has several words for love. While the English language, we only have one. We use the same word when we say, I love God. I love my dog. I mean, there's no difference. You know? I mean, you read bumper stickers all around in Asheville. I love my dog. Or God is my co or dog is my co-pilot. I'm like, oh yeah, right. Okay, come on. So, um, so the reality is, is that we use love. And I love pizza. I love you, honey. You know, I mean, there's just no difference. It's like we got to have a little bit of a variation here in our English language. But God is agape. First John four sixteen says this. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So what I want to focus on just for a moment, in the last few moments, is two words for love. And that's just eros and agape. I'm just going to narrow it down to two, okay? There's phileo, there's a, but I'm just going to do two, eros and agape. The essential meaning of agape from Strong's is, it's, is an exercise of the divine will in deliberate choice 
made without assignable cause, save that which lies in the nature of God himself. Agape does not love because of beauty or value that is discovered. It is a love that comes out of God's own nature. It's who he is. God doesn't work up love. He doesn't think, oh, you're beautiful. I love you. No, he sees you and he just thinks love. That's who he is. Eros is the Greek word for love. But it is not used in the New Testament because there's some sexual corruption with it, the connotations with it, so it's not used in the New Testament. But the essential meaning of Eros is the desire or intention to possess, acquire, or control. Eros does not seek to be accepted by its object, but to gain possession of it. Eros tries to obtain something and go after something. So really, Eros has an appetite or a yearning desire that is aroused by attractive qualities of its object. Eros in Greek philosophy came to mean that which is loved for the for the very purpose of personal satisfaction. Eros is self-satisfaction, whatever. So, it is from this posture that the word eros uh, takes on a sexual connotation. But the word is not primarily sexual. But it has more to do with living for one's own personal advantage. It's all about moi. What am I going to get out of it? Bob Mumford, in a book called The Agape Road, he talks about the three arrows. And when we look at these ramifications of these arrows, um, it all stems from the fall of man. C.S. Lewis explained it most clearly. When sin entered, all the world was bent, which I think is so good. An incredible way to describe something. Everything was bent. And God's redemption of mankind is what straightens out everything that's bent. It just bends the hook. So what I want to do is I first want to, um, I want to illustrate arrows to you real quick. Arrows is what is described as a bent arrow. Eros has, has the connotation that it's self-centered. It's coming back around to serve your own self. So there's a self-centeredness. It is self-centered, self-gratifying. It is for your own pleasure. It is what you want out of it. Eros love is controlled love. There's control. You, you have possession of it. You're in control of it. And in this, Eros love has shifting shadows. Have you ever felt like sometimes when somebody says, 
you know, you know, they, they want to speak the truth and love to you. And they're like, you know, brother, I just got to tell you like it is. I got to tell you the truth. And I'm like, I'm not feeling the love. I'm not feeling it. It's, 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 it's like it's got, it's got um, mixed motives. It's shifty. You're like, I don't feel that loving thing right now, you know. It's mixed motives. It's about self-gratification. What are you getting out of it? What do you like about this? It really puts you in the control seat and makes you want to try to be like God, to emulate the attributes of God, which is a forest. So Eros has a hook, an arrow that is bent, a bent arrow. Agape is a straight arrow. The agape love of God has no ulterior motives. It just is and does. It's what love does. And love believes all things. Love sees the best in individuals when you might not see it in yourself. Love endures all things. Has anyone had to endure a situation out of love? It, has, it gives you the ability to endure. Do you think God was ever long-suffering with you? He endured you. He put up with you. But His love won you. Love has the ability to hope all things. It looks, at, it looks at the glass half full, not half empty. It has hope for the future. Love has no shifting shadows. It's pure. It's pure and it's holy. There's no shifting shadows. It's pure. It's holy. The motivation is to express the intent of love not what you're going to get out of love. So in that, it's a, it's a love that is profoundly shapes you on the inside. But this type of love is to demonstrate the very DNA of God. It is to, it is to replicate who God is on this earth. So it is to represent God's DNA. This kind of love depends on truth and faithfulness. It seeks to build up and encourage and to edify. This love builds up. It encourages it edifies. And it's not controlling. It's just not controlling. There's no controlling aspect. 
is not controlling. Grammar was never my greatest strength. Okay. But you know what? The reality is, is that where most of us are today is a mixture. We are a mixture of the straight arrow and the bent arrow. And the love of God is working within you to extract those things that are worthless, sensual, earthly of this world. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit working within you that begins to remove this mixture of our lives having one foot in the world, one in the kingdom. It, it's just... And, and only God can do this um, eradication of any mixture in your life. You can't do it yourself. It is something where you surrender all to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And in that deep surrender of everything, the kingdoms within you become the kingdoms of our Lord and our God. David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Why? Because there was a mixture in David. When you read about the life of David, what does it say about him? He's a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. And then all of a sudden, several chapters later, we read, and he sleeps with Bethesda. Or, Bethesda, yeah. Bathsheba. Bethesda, Bathsheba. It was a bee. And then he has a man killed. So not only is he an adulterer, he's also now a murderer. And then we also read that one time he wanted to count and do a census of all Israel and find out how many people there are. He wasn't supposed to. He was leaning upon his own strength getting into pride, and all of a sudden, God's not happy. And a famine comes upon the land and kills almost 80,000 people. Come on. Think about the consequences of your own sin, killing 80,000 people. So the reality is, is that David, when you read about David, you read about he was a mixture. He had both in him. But he was a man after God's own heart. And what God started in him, he perfected in him. And what God has started in you, he will perfect in you. But the thing that we have to do is we need to yield and surrender all areas of our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can divide a spirit and soul. That's something only God can do. You can't divide your spirit and your soul. God is the only one that can extract and remove and take out those areas that do not represent his DNA, that do not represent the essence of who he is. Only God can do it. 
It can be painful. Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. Because you become a representation of him on this earth. It takes time. The pruning process, the discipline process of God takes time. It's not something you just, all of a sudden, it's like an In-N-Out burger. Woo, I got it now, baby. I'm good. No, it takes time. So you know what? When we look around, are you all aware of hooks or crooked arrows and other people? Mixture and other people? Do you notice those things? How do you respond to those things when you see a mixture in somebody? Well, there should be a straight arrow, but mm, I see a bent one there too. So we become increasingly aware of all those relationships, our friendships, our marriages, our business arrangements, social life, our Christian fellowship. If we are not careful, we could become suspicious and really cynical and critical and judgmental of those around us that have the mixture. And you start approaching everybody like, oh, you got a hook in you, don't you? You get, get a little, you know, suspicious. Ooh, I don't want to get too close to you. I can see that bent arrow. But it's important to respond to those around us with what love does. What does love do? Love believes all things. He believes that the seed, the eternal seed of Christ who dwells within you is going to produce fruit unto the kingdom of God. And that the life and the very DNA of God is going to begin to become evident in your life. It hopes all things. It endures all. And love never fails. You know, our love that has been demonstrated to us by the Father is a love that has never failed us or, or never forsook you and it will never leave you. We can't forsake one another. While we are all in the process of being redeemed and being brought anew and our arrow is being straightened out, we can't kick each other to the curb just because we're a work in process. We've got to really love one another even when we're unlovable. I mean, sometimes, I mean, when the dealings of God are upon you, it is tough to love you. And so in that, we've got to choose to love. And that's the God kind of love. You got to remember, when you were a rascal, he died for you. When you weren't lovable, he liked you. So Jesus, as God incarnate, seeks to straighten our hook, our arrow, turning our arrows into internal holiness. He wants to turn the inside of you into in internal, internal holiness. So what he does a lot of times is he reaches for those motivating factors that are resonant deep within our person. Those Things that um, we get misunderstood by. But he's looking for those things that motivate you to do the bit thing. He's going after those areas that motivate you to do the very thing you don't want to do. 
And it's a process of surrender to the Father's love. And I'm going to tell you something. Love is going to win the day. Love is going to win on the inside of you. Because love is so attractive. It is so desirable. Love, when you're encompassed and filled with the love of the Father, that's all that you want is to be in His presence and to be loved by Him. You know, Jesus conveyed that there was kind of a, uh, a misunderstanding that was going on within people's lives or really what was motivating people. Like in Matthew 5, 27 through 30, he said, Everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. With this as a standard, what we understand is that he's saying, you know, it's just not about what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside. What's motivating you to look the other way or look too long? And with this as a standard, really much of the church, we've got to realize much of the church, you know, could be actually living in adultery. Or Jesus says, if you, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. So we could have murders in our midst. So the reality is, is that nothing, nothing, can release us from eros until we choose to deny and we choose to say, Lord, for I am crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives within me. It is the denial of the self-life. It is the denial of, the, of, of your self-life and you choose to embrace the way of the cross. So when we finally realize that the Father's love has been pursuing us all of our lives, we will joyfully surrender our hearts to the Father's love, the agape love. When I came to the end of my rope, Back in 1984, I had made such a mess of my life. Everything around me, I just, nothing was going right. And I got to the point when I realized my heart was aching just would somebody really love me and my stuff. It's when I ran into the Father's arms and I was embraced by His love and I was transformed by a love that I'd never experienced before in my life. And being held and being loved healed my heart, transformed my heart, and made me a son. I became a son. I've been a son to my natural father all these years. But now was a son to my Father in heaven. And everything within me lit up. And no matter what happened in life, I knew that I had a home. 
I knew I had a place I could run to. I knew I had a place where I could be embraced and spoken over. And he could tell me what he thinks of me and not what the world thinks of me. The Father's love is waiting for many of you. And it's a choice. Because you remember the prodigal son when he was in feeding the pigs and he finally came to his senses and he started running on home. When he was coming home, he was trying to figure out what he could say to his father that maybe he could just be even a servant. While he was figuring out what he was going to say, the father pulled up his skirt, pulled up his clothes, tied it in a knot, and he started running for his son. Even before he said a word, the father was pursuing the son. And he embraced him. He tried to say a few things and he kissed him. He held him. And that love transformed him on the inside out. And I believe God wants to do that for many of you here. So let's all stand. Father, I pray this day that if there would be anyone here, Lord, that their heart has been crying out that I don't understand what it means to know a father's love. But I know that my life has had so much pain and hurt. And I don't understand everything, but I know it's the very thing that I need. And I choose this day to surrender my all to you. I choose to surrender my will to you. I choose to lay everything down before you. And I ask, Father, that you would come into my heart the agape love of the Father would embrace me and fill me. I ask, Father, that this love that is almost unimaginable would fill my heart up to overflowing. Father, it's been your desire ever since the beginning of time to come up with a plan to reach your sons and your daughters with the love of a father. And God, I pray today that there would be those in this house that could find their way back home. That Lord could get on the path because Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life under the Father. So Lord, I pray now that you would help those find the way through your son Jesus. And they would come into knowing a father's love. That will never leave them nor forsake them. And I'm asking father that your healing love would flow into the hearts of many people here. That love would transform them from the inside out. 
And they can know from this day forward that they will be with you forever. And Father, I thank you for this endless love that you have for us. So Father, I pray today, just as you instructed your disciples, when they asked you how should they pray, and you said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Father, I praise you and thank you for this church. And Lord, I'm asking that the reality of the inward life being made whole, pure, in agape love would become a reality. And I bless each and every one with that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You know, I want to just give an invitation. If, you know, if there's anyone here that needs to know Father's love, and has never known a father's love and has never understood one because everything was so confusing. If you've never experienced the warmth of the father's love in your own heart, I want to give you an opportunity just to come on up and, and receive some prayer. So if you'd like some prayer, I'd love for any of you just to come on up. I'd love to pray for you and bless you with the father's love just as my father blessed me with the Father's love. So Lord, I pray you bless and keep each and every one. And Lord, I pray this day that you would make your face shine upon each and every one and be gracious to them and lift up your countenance and give them your shalom peace. In Jesus' name, amen.